Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, July 5th, 2020. Which was a, a relatively restful house at the, you know, or night at the Taylor <laughs> yeah. House. Is that I, what I've been Yeah, like? you know, I just wanted to kick back, Jim, and just relax uh, on this 4th of July weekend. But the blitzkrieg of uh, uh, fireworks and other mortar shells blanketing the town made it a little hard to enjoy that. So I'm a, if I'm a little bit less enthusiastic today it's because of the lack of sleep and the uh having to you know coax my dog off of the metaphoric ledge for you know untold hours last night Mm, poor nova i am so sorry (laughs) um though from what alice has been telling me that this has been going on in la for weeks now the fireworks going off virtually every night right or yeah but but last night it was like a steady stream from about 5 p.m to about 4 a.m. just nonstop. And I don't know if it's, I mean, the conspiracy theory is that the professional fireworks that are usually sold to these towns weren't bought by the town, so they're just selling them to regular people. But I don't know what it was. I mean, you saw those flyover shots from last night. Somebody put the, uh, (laughs) did you see somebody put it to the, to the music from Blade Runner, just gave it a very nice uh, uh, post-apocalyptic kind of feeling. Wow, no, that that's inspired. But yeah, no, they were. Yes. I, I won't lie to you, they were beautiful. You know, and, and, and in fact, it reminded me there was one Fourth of July where us actually flying back from LA. As we were coming in for a landing, we basically saw every fireworks show from Central Massachusetts right up to. Massachusetts Bay go off and it was it was cool to be up in the air looking down at it I on the other hand being there on the ground with your your poor little dog oh, yes. I'm so sorry you did you look out the window and say that's a wicked good firework show <laughs> yes and then I went and parked my car in Harvard Yard thank you all right yes, okay, so okay good all right good. moving on <laughs> Somehow last week, Josh Gad distracted us. Yes. And I blame him for the fact that we didn't notice that Robot Chicken started up again just this past weekend, June 28th. And a brand new episode also dropping tonight, July 5th. I still kind of have trouble wrapping my head around that there have been now 10 seasons of Robot Chicken. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. But I, I again, as gross and as an adult... Uh, or as adult as the show can sometimes get, I, I do genuinely enjoy Robot Chicken. Though I missed out on the first incarnation. Well, I, to be fair, I did not miss out on the very first incarnation, which, of course, was Twisted Toy Fair Theater. They used to do it in the print edition of the magazine. But sadly, Toy Fair stopped publishing back in 2011 in January. But I guess Matt, who had worked in the magazine basically got in bed with Seth and they created this sort of stop motion animated version of Twisted Toy Fair Theater, which then debuted on screenblast.com, which was a Sony website back in 2001. And they produced 12 episodes of a show called Sweet Jay Presents. Do we know who Sweet Jay is, Jim? We do not. You know, the, we located Sweet Jay? <laughs> I literally just learned about this today. I, I now gonna have to go pound on YouTube to see if any of these early shows are available, because the first one evidently has Seth MacFarlane doing his Conan O'Brien impression. 
The show only runs for one season, 12 episodes, and then nothing. So Seth and Matt proceed to walk the show around to other outlets, and they take it to Comedy Central. They say no. They take it to Mad TV. They say no. They take it to Saturday Night Live. Also no. And even Cartoon Network says no. This iteration of Sweet Jay Presents is now called Junk in the Trunk, and it's Seth MacFarlane who evidently said, you know, nobody wants to buy junk. Change the name of the show. And so the story that's always been told is that Seth and Matt had this Chinese restaurant that they loved in West Hollywood called the Kung Pao Bistro. Uh, have we ever been there, Drew? Or I have never been, and now I've got to go. Well, I'm not going to go to any bistro. <laughs> I'm like you, Jim, who went to a restaurant today. I, we, I was shocked. We went to the Friendly Toast, and it was a little weird that we had to go in wearing our mask, and then we were basically handed little packets of scrubbies and sort of had to wash down the table on our own. So it's like you reassured that everything clean around you. And then, you know, we ordered everything from a distance. And then when it came time to pay, you know, it was touchless. It's interesting to have done it and to see what it's like and probably do it again in six months. (laughs) Anyway, uh, uh, back to Matt and Seth. So their favorite dish at this Chinese restaurant was Hollywood was called Robot Chicken. And so that's what they named the show. And it was taking it back to Cartoon Network at that point with that name where they were like, eh, yeah, okay, maybe with that name we could do something with our Adult Swim programming block. And here we are today. So definitely going to watch that one tonight, see what they're up to. On the other hand, did, did you see the notice about the new Star Trek animated thing for CBS All Access uh, Lower Decks? Yes, yeah. I did. I, I was hoping we would actually get a trailer, but we got a poster and a, a release date, yep. which I'll take. You know, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm old enough to have seen the original Star Trek animated thing, which ran on NBC on its Saturday mornings from September of 73 to October of 74. It was written well. They actually brought DC Fontana, who'd been the script editor on the live-action NBC show. She was then, I want to say, the story editor and the associate producer on the animated thing. But the problem is it was twenty-two, just 22 minutes long, so kind of hard to set up a Star Trek-esque story. And more to the point, the animation was by Filmation, which did the Archies Ooh. and... Groovy girly ghoulies and kind of famous for let's run the exact same way toward the door. <laughs> Bad animation, reasonably good writing. But this one, on the other hand, Lower Decks is, is a comedy, right? Half hour. In fact, did you, do you see the name of the ship they're on? The USS Serretos? Right. <laughs> so the catchphrase for the, the, the show is rarely going where no one has gone before. Because I guess the gag with the show is. They're on a ship that only specializes in second contacts. Did you ever see the um, the animated short that they did for uh, CBS All Access that was directed by Michael Giacchino? No. It was like about a robot and a little alien. It was really cute. Hmm. And it kind of, it was cool because it went through classic episodes. Hmm. Like they'd, they'd go by a window or something and you'd see a classic episode and they'd be using the the audio from the original series and animating the character. I mean, it was really clever. I highly recommend that if you get a second. Okay, well, great. So now, you know, in addition to chasing down Sweet Jay Presents, I'm going out. Do we have a name for this? Yes. <laughs> Jaquino Short? It's part of the uh, 
they call them short tracks. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. It is called Ephraim and Dot, Ephraim. and it's about a little robot and a little alien. Ephraim and Dot. Okay, I'm. I, yes. My even, so, evening check it out. is filling out. Oh, speaking <laughs> of which, and I feel yes, you'll enjoy it. I feel like such an idiot because we actually talked about this when they announced they were going to do it. Brad Bird. Remember how he was going to be the host of The Essentials on Turner Classic? Yes. Okay, just last night, normally on July 4th evening, at some point on some channel, you can find 1776, and especially right. having just watched Hamilton, which was wonderful, by the way, just it lived up to everything that I had hoped that show would. In the second act, they actually do a joke that riffs on 1776, where it's John Adams sit the F down, which, of course, right. <laughs> you know, comes off of the sit down John from 1776. So so we turn on Turner Classic and they don't have 1776 on, but they do have the music, man. And so we and mm -hmm. it, it, that's fun. And it fits for July 4th evening. We get to the end and, and suddenly here's Mankowitz sitting down with Brad Bird and they proceed to talk for about five minutes. And it was it just made me think I want to go back and catch all of the intros and outros to these Brad Bird essential things because it was such an amazing story. He talked about the fact that when you're a filmmaker, for example, when you get in there and you're pitching your first films, nobody believes it's going to be any good because you're new. And what they do is they hear your idea and it's like, oh, God, that's terrible. And he proceeds to say, you know, he tells the story about, well, it's about this gin joint in, in, in Casablanca and all the people come in there. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. It's a horrible idea. No one's going to want to go see that movie. And he you know, talks about it's only after you make a couple of movies and if you're lucky enough to have a couple of hits that people then trust you. That you get to the point where you can, and can, but of course the problem is even then, even after you had a couple of successes on your belt, you still can't get stuff made. And in fact, Bankwoods, I, I seem to sort of be referring to 1906. Oh, really? Yeah, which was kind of interesting. But again, Brad does this every Saturday night. Now, in fact, next Saturday night, he's doing Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. But it's like, now I, I got to at least record these to hear what Brad has to say, because I, I know you managed to get the sit down with him. In fact, that's one of your better, how many interviews did you, or shows did you manage breaking your, your light diffuse? I think that was three, because we were at his house, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I recommend, you know, <laughs> if you ever get an invite, please go to oh, Brad Bird's house no. for like almost three hours. Wow. It was crazy. Just this five minute long chunk made me think, God, I got to go back and find all these essentials because the stories were that good. But anyway, uh, we, sorry, we made a hard left there for a sec, folks. Uh, but we were just talking space with Star Trek Lower Decks. And I guess we also need to mention Candace Against the Universe, the long-awaited Phineas and Ferb thing. We we just got a release yes. date, right? Or, or uh, when it's going to show up in Disney. Uh, yeah, August 28th. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we said the release date for Star Trek is August 6th. Mm -hmm. So you'll start with Star Trek. You'll end the month with, with Candace Against the Universe. Mm -hmm. And Jim, your um, Dr. Doofenshmirtz Skype icon will be culturally relevant again. <laughs> so you must be excited about that. Yes, I, I do enjoy every so often being culturally relevant. On the other hand, I'm kind of intrigued on the backstory of this Phineas and Ferb TV movie. Because uh, remember, Dan and, and Swampy are 
heavily into production on their Milo Murphy's Law show. Mm-hmm. When Disney supposedly approaches them about, we would really like a Phineas and Ferb movie to help launch our new streaming service. And the story that's out there is basically it took a while for Dan and Swampy to come up with an idea that hadn't been done on Phineas and Ferb yet, which is understandable. There were four seasons, 222 episodes produced, and they shut down production in 2015. But now we get this, so now I have to see what Candace against the universe, what what they found that was new that they could do with these characters. And you wanted, you said that there was going to be a Milo's Murphy's loss uh, crossover, right? Well, that was supposedly the plan, but then I have to assume it was time that you're trying to pay tribute to touch base to fan favorite characters and everybody get their own moment, but you only have so much screen time. But Al Yankovic, the talented performer who voices Milo on on the the, the Murphy's Law show, he's evidently in the show voicing a completely new character, but no Milo. Oh, interesting. Speaking of things that are returning, Beavis and Butthead. And not only Beavis and Butthead by way of Mike Judd, which is kind of huge. Yeah, and it's not going to be on MTV. That's the other thing. Yeah. It will be for Comedy Central, mm-hmm. which also shows you that the Viacom Paramount brands are now starting to mutate. Mm-hmm. They're starting to gain self-awareness, Jim, <laughs> and they're sharing DNA strands and all this. But yeah, it's interesting because it, it's on the heels of resurrecting Daria That's it, exactly. in a different format. Yeah. You know? But you were saying, I wanted to point out that it's not just... The animated series, though I guess they got a two-season pickup of that. But there's also, what, spinoffs and specials? and Yes. And it sounds like they're going to be, like, watching, like, TikTok videos or something. Because the, the way that they were framing it was that it was that they were going to enter a whole new Gen Z world. So I don't think they're going to be watching music videos again. It sounds like they're watching TikToks and... Instagram lives and stuff like that, which is going to be very weird. Okay. (laughs) I get, especially in this age of streaming services and Peacock and CBS and all access. And and as you just mentioned, you know, the whole notion of you have these giant corporations pivoting back, looking into their libraries and what can we use? What can we revive? But even so, I have to admit, I was kind of startled this week with the news that Clone High is coming back. I mean, yeah, I love Phil Lord and he, you know, his work with Chris Miller, you know, it's always sharp. It's always funny, but clone high ran for a single season back in 2002, 2003. Supposedly the thing that got the show pulled was, well, the conceit of the, the whole show is what you have all of these clones of famous figures from history, uh, a Blinken, Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, JFK, And, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're all in high school now and, you know, behaving like high schoolers. And one of the people who was cloned was Mahatma Gandhi. And just the Indian committee kind of lost its mind over, you know, how disrespectful of, of, you know, one of our greatest heroes. And so the the show got shut down. So I I guess it's going to be interesting to see the show revived and and see who makes the cut this time around cuz yeah you know Abraham Lincoln yeah i wonder that you know Abraham Lincoln's kind of the central character or or was the teenage version of the show in fact they had him in what kind of a love triangle between Joan of Arc and Cleopatra 
Yes. I like the show. I mean, but that that is a deep cut. You're right, Jim. I mean, they were really mm-hmm. <laughs> digging into the the bag. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's got a great animation style. I mean, it's very early 2000s kind of indie animation style. Mm-hmm. Lots of clean lines and stylized kind of character design. But really a cool show. And I'm I'm very curious to see how they'll bring it back and in what form. But you're right. I didn't even think about what new characters they're going to bring in mm-hmm. or what characters they're going to delete mm-hmm. from the original. There's a lot of questions there, Jim. I love it. We'll have to wait a couple of years for that to see that show up. But all right, we'll tell you what, folks, that that's kind of all of the news for now. And we're going to take a break here. But when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Kelly Asbury. This was kind of tough last week to have this news break about Kelly Asbury. Mm-hmm. Kelly's been a feature of the animation community for years. I want to ask her, how many different times on how many different projects did you get to talk with Kelly? I think I only, I might have only talked to him for Nomeo and Juliet, although I feel like I talked to him for a Smurfs mm-hmm. project also mm-hmm. later on. But he was just the most wonderful guy, and I saw that news and fell out of my chair. I had no idea he was sick or anything, but you're right. I mean, he's been such a staple of Western animation for literally as long as I've been alive. Well, I, so it's crazy. And, and that's the, the weirdest part. If the stories I'm hearing are true, when he was in working on Ugly Dolls and uh, supposedly for a good chunk of the Smurfs, the Lost Village or whatever that was called, he was dealing with stage four cancer. Everybody loved working with Kelly. And God, everybody did work with Kelly. I mean, he's, he's was part, what he started at Disney fan feature animation back in 83 before, before hell, before Eisner, Katzenberger, Wells got there and did storyboards for mermaid and beast. Uh, also did, you know, uh, went up and worked with, uh, the folks at Pixar on their very first feature toy story. And then just striking to me, he pivots and he's the assistant art director on Nightmare Before Christmas. So, you know, all of these seminal films, you know, Disney's golden, and again, at the start of Disney's second golden age of animation, likewise, Pixar's first film, and, and then, you know, Nightmare. And I guess from there, he got his shot. I mean, Katzenberg identified him as a star and invited him over to DreamWorks Animation. And Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which is... Now, of course, uh, DreamWorks television animation has turned into mm-hmm. you know this whole franchise. In fact, that's headed back to theaters, right? That they're doing a theatrical, a new. St- Are they really? Yeah, yeah. I rewatched it recently. It's a very beautiful looking movie, and it it you can tell they really tried mm-hmm. something different with it. I'm not sure it totally works, mm-hmm. but. It's unbelievably gorgeous, that movie. And it's weird, the parts that you remember. I mean, do you remember the scene where the locomotive is tumbling down the hillside and you you just get that sense of energy and mass and the horse trying to get out of the way, how dangerous it is? And I mean, they really made an effort. And for some reason, uh, you know, it just didn't connect the way they expected. But then you you mentioned talking with him on, on Nomeo and Juliet and... Remember how long Romeo and Juliet was at Disney and they just could not crack the story? Yeah. The original premise was there were the gnomes who lived in the houses like ornamental pieces of ceramic and then there were the rougher gnomes that lived out 
on the lawn as ornaments and that sort of thing. And geez, I remember seeing tests and storyboard images of the, the gnomes out on the lawn riding the lawn flamingos. Yes, I remember that art too. Yeah, but Kelly was the one who figured out how to thread the needle there. Because remember, the, you know, the whole premise of it was that it also had to use the Elton John songbook. And yes. he figured that out. In addition to all his work in animation, he had this passion for ventriloquism. Did you, did you ever see his book, Dummy Days? No, I would, I, again, Jim, I would like to sleep tonight. So <laughs> the dummy book will. Well, but see, that's the thing. Kelly had the, the, the same love horror of ventriloquism. So he had all these amazing photos of genuinely horrifying ventriloquist dummies. And and his one of his favorite was uh, Danny O'Day's uh, Farfel. Have you ever seen Farfel in action? No. Oh, all right. No. All right. Here's you have to Google this. Uh, you know, after we finish here tonight, go to YouTube and uh, look for Farfel, particularly Nestle's quick commercial with Farfel. Farfel is a dog, but if Farfel is a dog with a very long snout that's made of wood that clacks like the jaws of a crocodile. And so they, they would sing the, the Nestle theme song of the period, you know, Nestle's the very best. And they would then turn to the ventriloquist dog and he would, chocolate. But he would open and close his jaws. And again, there are children, full-size adults today who as children saw Farfel and still wake up screaming. Because this, again, <laughs> horrifying ventriloquist dummy. But <laughs> but Kelly collected all of these into a great book called Dummy Days that I occasionally pull down. Because it's just, it's so well put together and it looks so great. And he had clear affection for that. I guess in 2011, 2012, after working at DreamWorks, he ends up back at Disney and actually works on, uh, makes significant contributions to both Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen. Had you ever heard of that? I had that? no idea. Yeah. No, I had no idea. Yeah. But then evidently on the back of that, he gets hired to go work. On Smurfs, The Lost Village for Sony, and then, of course, we get Ugly Dolls for STK, uh, you know, Entertainment. And both of those films did not do the business that they were supposed to do. But Kelly wrote this um, incredibly brave essay for Cartoon Brew about what it was like to work on a failure. Particularly, in his case, two films that just did not connect box office-wise. And... It was this really sweet essay about this is just what happens. You work hard on a project and you really care about it. And then for some odd reason, it's either the wrong weekend or the wrong promotional campaign, or maybe it's a bad movie, but it doesn't connect with an audience and how you still have to get up the next day and you know, go to work. And it just, I remember it got such a wonderful reaction from the fan committee because everybody celebrates successes, of course, in Hollywood. Nobody ever talks about how... You know, you have to handle a failure. And, and it was really interesting because it was it was pretty close to Ugly Doll's opening. Mm -hmm. So you could tell that he had been on the press tour, too, for that movie and, you know, was talking it up and this and that mm -hmm. and to write so honestly about the experience of making the movie and making a movie that people didn't connect with, mm -hmm. I thought was really inspiring because rarely do you ever get to have that conversation with anyone, especially on a press tour. You can't go like, well, what happened? You know, mm -hmm. you can do what I did with Atlantis and, and talk about it almost 20 years later. But to have that rawness of the emotions of opening a movie that doesn't connect was really fascinating and something that is kind of unheard of um, in the business. No, absolutely. But when you also think that 
if you line up the timing of this, and he was dealing with stage four cancer during this period, you know, and the fact that he could be, I mean, at a time when, you know, face it, a lot of us would take a body blow like that and just retreat, especially given what he was dealing with and the fact that he he went the other way, you know, stood in the spotlight and talked about how, you you know, it's just as important to figure out how to handle a failure as it is a success. I mean, that's that's a great lesson. Yeah. But Kelly passed away this past week at his home in Encino of, of abdominal cancer. And on behalf of, of Drew and myself, we just want to extend our condolences to his very wide circle of friends and family. This is this is a huge loss. This was a sweet guy. And I still remember going to when he was at Sony working on uh, Smurfs The Lost Village and I don't know if you got to talk to him during that period, uh, Drew, when it was an entirely different version of, of the movie where it was basically what Gargamel traveling back in time to to the era of proto-Smurfs <laughs> was in his office and he was so sweet and so enthusiastic and just so loved the process of animation. Then to see the finished film and talk with the folks at Sony, it's like, yeah, it went another way during the production, but... You know, he still delivered a, a great film, and it's just unfortunate the audience didn't turn out. But but who knows? They didn't turn out for Hocus Pocus, and they didn't turn out for Rocketeer. And, and who knows? In 20 years, we're going to be like, oh, that lost masterpiece, Smurfs the Lost Village. So <laughs> Maybe, Jim. Maybe. Maybe. So, <laughs> so to kind of put a button on things for today's show, I mean, again, remember, we are living in this very strange age now. With COVID-19 and Drew and I have gone on at length about various projects that the release dates got pushed off by years or that sort of thing. I mean, we're still kind of sorting this out. And But just this past weekend, there were a, a number of theaters that opened up around the country. And just out of an abundance of caution, nobody wanted to put a new film in. So they released older, more popular films. And so... It was Zootopia, right, from 2016? Yeah. That wound up, yeah. four years after the fact, backed at number one in the box office. Mind you, it only made like $250,000, but still, it was number one at the box office after four years. And there's supposedly a Zootopia sequel in the works. I mean, I, we know that there's a Zootopia theme park land uh, under construction at Shanghai. In fact, I think the steel just went vertical in the past month or right. so and i remember at one time there was it wasn't just one zootopia sequel they were talking two yes but then rich moore left disney and last we heard yes. what was it jared bush and chris williams is that right uh it was byron howard byron right? howard byron howard uh that yes. they're working on who has who has another movie in canto right, right? we've talked Yes, Encanto. All right. So maybe they're not going forward with Zootopia, the sequels. But but you were actually pointing out that there might be another reason why this got might be problematic for Disney. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that the at the end of that movie, mm -hmm. both of the main characters are police officers. Mm -hmm. So I wonder in today's climate with so many cries for defunding police or or drastic police reorganization and reform that that is going to really carry through to a, the box office and to a wide, you know, a giant animation movie mm -hmm. 
opening in theaters wide. I just don't know if that's going to be possible. Although, you know, I, as I floated to you before the show, like maybe there'll be private detectives or something. Mm. But you and I know that the movie was a lot darker at one point and sort of more skewed in that direction. So maybe they could bring it back there. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Wasn't the original iteration basically in, Nick was the character driving the story, right? And yes. Do you even remember seeing that footage at D23 and then coming back for the the long lead day a couple weeks later and the footage had been completely redone? Yeah, the, the, the ice cream parlor scene. Yes, yes. You've seen all of the Into the Unknown Frozen 2 episodes at this point, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, of course. Yes. Because I reached out to Amy after having watched the, uh, you know, all finally watched all six. Uh, Amy Astley, the, the very talented woman in charge of PR at Disney. Likewise, she was the executive producer on this uh, Disney Springs. Uh, it's a, I do it again. Disney Plus uh, <laughs> docuseries. I was surprised at how brave uh, this was because normally, I mean, Disney takes you behind the scenes, but they never actually show you people sweating and stressing or getting there at 4.30 in the morning during crunch time. Right. And Amy said this very interesting thing in, in her response back to me. She talked about how she wanted to show how much hard work went into these movies. That She felt Disney kept doing a disservice to the people who worked on these movies by doing these behind-the-scenes things where it's just, oh, yeah, we did that, and things were fine, and everything was great. you know. And to show these people stressing and the three months out and so, so who is it that, that that's talking to Elsa again? Have we decided that yet? But yeah, this was all about deciding to show how difficult it is. And that for me, you know, was the interesting thing about those two versions of the ice cream parlor scene from Zootopia, because mm-hmm. evidently the, the, when we saw the new version, I was like, but the other one had great gags and the other one, you know, had some really funny businesses. Yeah, but it didn't move the story in the direction we wanted to go. And in the end, that's what this is all about. And geez, I would just hate, given how much, you know, Judy Hopps and, and, you know, Nick are, are such wonderful characters. And, but just the fact that, you know, well, given what's going on in the real world, do, do we really want two cartoon characters to be policemen? And it just—it's an interesting—it's an interesting conundrum. Jim, it is. It, you know? it is. Well, on the other hand, something that is not a conundrum at all is is deciding to listen to "Light the Fuse," especially this week when Gary Rystrom. Yes. You have Gary Rystrom. Yes, a genius. I've, I've said this a million times, but he's—you know—he won two Oscars in the same year. Mm-hmm. He has directed shorts for Pixar. He has almost directed a feature for Pixar, yeah. which we get into in the show. And um, he is awesome. You get him to talk about Newt, right? Yes, we'll have to. We'll, we'll circle back after the after that episode is uh, has run, and then we can talk about sort of what he said in there. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So you're gonna want to check that out on Light the Fuse starting this week, folks. You cannot miss these episodes of Light the Fuse. Over a nice head of him. Hey, we actually did after six weeks of me saying we're going to do it. We finally got a new universal joint in the bag. Dustin and I just did that yesterday. Likewise, uh, Len and I are recorded a Disney dish where we, we do talk about the Splash Mountain Princess and the Frog redo. Uh, I got a friend in Imagineering to spill a little bit about that. Dan and I do the looking at Lucasfilm thing, and we'll get a new one of those up this week. And if you want to follow us on social media, you head to Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media, and you can find us on Facebook 
at Jim Hill Media News. And thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon.